0: Let's go to the Bible. If you found Mark chapter 9, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. <clears throat> Mark chapter 9, we'll begin in verse 42. It's a lengthy passage uh, and there's a whole lot in here and you've never heard Jesus talk like this. Mark chapter 9 verse 42, grass with us and the flowers fade with the Word of our God. Forever. stands forever. Let's begin verse 42. <clears throat> Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Join me as we pray together. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus by the Spirit because we are in need. Father, I pray that I would give an accurate representation of what you have given us, that Christ will be lifted high, that your spirit will call eyes, cause eyes to see Jesus. Father, I pray that you would encourage brothers and sisters in Christ and strengthen them today. God, we pray for conviction for those that are without Christ. Pray for conviction for those that are in sin, that are brothers and sisters that are in sin. God, we ask for an awakening, a change. We need you to do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Let me be seated. It happens almost every time that there is a hurricane. Almost every time a hurricane slams into the coast, news bulletins are sent out, warnings dominate the airwaves, might even get some alert on your phone. If you live close to the coast and there's an interstate there, all of the lanes are open going one way so that you can evacuate, get everybody out of there, get them away from danger. If there's sufficient time and you know the hurricane has dropped off into the Gulf and you can see it, if there's sufficient time, people will board up their homes, pack up their belongings, they'll do everything they can do to get out of the path of a storm. Because a, a Category 5 hurricane is not to be trifled with. But inevitably, almost every time, even after all of the passionate and incessant warnings, there are individuals that decide to ignore. To ignore all of the authorities, to ignore all of the pleadings and think they can ride out the storm. And all too often those people that thought they could survive the storm are swept out to sea. They weren't sufficiently afraid of the danger that was coming. What do we have here before us this morning is a warning. It's a storm warning. It's some of the strongest words that you will ever hear out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus. I mean, truthfully, when I was studying this week, just just studying it this week, talking to Connie yesterday about it, just studying it is disturbing as you think on your own life. There's no storyline here, there's no travel narrative here, there's only a deadly serious Jesus giving a deadly serious warning. Jesus, Jesus is the original hellfire preacher. Jesus said more about hell than anybody else in the entire Bible. Here the word is Gehenna, when it translated hell it's a Greek word Gehenna Jesus uses this 11 out of the 12 times that it's used in the Gospels. And in this passage when Jesus points at hell, He has taken off the training wheels to to show us just how serious belonging to Him really is. Now my, my intent today is to to do my best to accurately and rightly represent God's word, to represent the Lord, so that you might follow Him, so that you might love Him. Because, here's the, th- the theme because following Christ, following Christ is a deadly serious adventure. Following Christ, a deadly serious adventure. And just like any other dangerous adventure that you might go on, if you go on some sort of dangerous adventure, you've got to always pay attention. That's the phrase I want to use. Let's start where Jesus started. Let's start in verse 42 and uh, make that our first point. Number one, we must pay attention to others. That's not where I thought I would start. We must pay attention to others. You see it right there in verse 42. Let's read the warning. Let's read the warning. Let's pull it apart. And then make some application. Join me there, verse 42. <clears throat> Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Let's pull it apart. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me, little ones who believe in me, that's not just children, that's not just someone coming up out of Juana maybe putting their their faith in Christ and in being baptized in the fourth or fifth or sixth grade, that little ones is going to be any person that is vulnerable, any believer in Jesus that is weak, maybe new in the faith, maybe young in the faith, maybe inexperienced in what it means to actually be a disciple, coming to church not familiar with all the language, or maybe maybe it's somebody that's um, It's a Christian but has been damaged emotionally in some capacity or maybe even abused or or maybe they understand the basic but confused on some things. Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me, who believe in me. What does it mean to believe in me? When we say we believe in Jesus, we're talking about the gospel. So often I hear uh, guys who call themselves gospel preachers never actually get to the gospel. What does it mean to be a Christian? To be a Christian, we believe that Jesus Christ lived perfectly, died on the cross in the place of sinners, in your place if you're a Christian, that God raised him from the dead. And when God looks at you, he receives you not as you are, he receives you because you are in Christ. Your sins have been paid. By the blood of Jesus you now have His righteousness and if you believe that Christ and Christ alone saves you, you believe in Him, that is what saves you and nothing else. And so Jesus says, who believe in Me, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in Me, actual child of God, A lot of you have children here. You think about how protective you are of your children. And if God purchased you by the blood of His Son, how protective He is of you. And here you can feel some of that protection in verse 42. Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. You see that phrase, to sin? If you have the New International, it probably says to stumble. It says that because the words." Scandalon, it's where we get the word stumble, scandal. Jesus is saying, whoever causes one of these little ones that believe in me, it's actually a Christian, to stumble in their walk. To get tripped up by temptation. Whoever influences that person to the degree they fall off into sin. If you have this bad influence and you are bringing a brother or sister down, it's like somebody that was an alcoholic that gets saved and they're just newly saved and they come to church and you say, you know what? Friday night, we're going to the bar. Why don't you come? And Jesus says, whoever causes one of the little ones who believe in me to sin. Look at, look at the verse, verse 42. It would be better if a great millstone were hung around his neck he were cast into the sea. A great millstone. What is a millstone? You may remember that word from Judges when, uh, in Judges chapter 9, when the woman throws this this upper millstone off the wall and on Abimelech's head and kills him. It's it's a disgrace. That was probably 50, 80, maybe 100 pounds. She rolled it off the wall. Maybe big enough you could put your arms around it. That's not what this is here. This This is a great millstone you might even translate it a donkey millstone because the donkey would would go around and around the millstone it's so big think about the size of of your car maybe a thousand pounds maybe two thousand pounds like an anchor on a giant tanker in the North Sea and that anchor are tied it's connected to this chain whose links are the size of your body and that anchor set free That anchor plunges and plunges with ever-increasing speed into the depths of the sea, except this time it's not connected to the tanker. The anchor is connected to your neck. And with unstoppable force, it rips you off the deck of that boat. Drags you deeper and deeper into the sea, into the darkness, till your chest starts to cave in and your lungs explode and you are annihilated. Jesus says that happening to you is better than what will happen to you if you cause one of the little ones that believe in me to sin. It's better to die a horrific death by drowning than to cause another Christian to sin. How you treat other people is how you're treating Christ. Now, I think this can have general application I think we can talk about generally to apply it like uh, Kyler taught Wednesday night on cults I think that I think this applies to cults that would claim Jesus but but turn people away so they're not saved I think this would I think this can apply to uh, to the prosperity gospel preachers like prosperity churches that hold up something other than Christ which is treasured not things on on the earth, I think this could apply to, uh, to, to liberal, sort of woke, mainstream churches that might recite the Apostles' Creed but don't believe anything in it. But I think he had in mind, I don't think he had that, I think he had in mind individual Christians. John MacArthur, when he looked at this, he came up with several things that this could be. Uh, I'll just use two or three of his. Now, Macarthur said that it could be direct temptation if you influence someone directly. If you, Jesus is talking about the actual tempting to op- openly entreat someone to sin against the law of God or to sin against your own conscience. Jesus says, verse 42, "You do that. You cause one of the little ones who believe in me to sin. It would be better for you to be drug into the sea." Or maybe it's the maybe it's the example you set. All of us here if you're believers in Christ and you have friends that are believers part of what God has charged you with is is setting the example as a Christian man or a Christian woman or if you're a student and you call yourself a Christian and what people know about Christianity is how you're living and so they look to you as Christian and maybe there's a new believer that sees you so how do I pattern my life after him? Or, Or in this society we live in a single man or a single woman You become the example. You find Paul talking about this in 2nd Corinthians. You find it also in Romans. Romans, uh, Paul says in Romans, we who are strong, we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good so that we might build him up. Or if that's not enough, by way of example or actually tempting, maybe it is that we aren't pushing one another to righteousness. It could be that we're not that we are failing to. If you're a brother or sister in Christ, you've got a new believer or someone that's struggling, and, and our obligation is to help that brother grow. What did the writer of Hebrews say? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider how to stimulate one or, one another to love. And good deeds. It's amazing to me when we think about following Christ. Following Christ is a deadly serious adventure and he starts off in verse 42 telling us we must pay attention to other believers. God has given us the church to pay attention to other believers. How are we influencing, helping, leading other believers? Let me give you a second thing to consider. And not only pay attention to other believers, we must, number two, we must pay attention to ourselves. To ourselves. So you take verse 43 all the way down to verse 48. Here in this passage, Jesus uses three hyperboles. He overstates. He's going to say to cut off your hand, to cut off your foot, to tear out your eye. Now, he is not saying that you literally do that. What he's saying is this is how serious. He's making a point making a point of how serious we are to take the commitment we have to Christ and here what you have in this passage are the demanding requirements of discipleship. So if you were to sum it up you would say like this, whatever is endangering your spiritual life must be totally removed. Whatever is tempting you to sin that we are engaging in a battle against sin, that we must take deadly serious. That's why he uses the language, cut off, tear out. It's language that is painful. It's, it's language that is violent. I want to slowly walk through it. Let's just walk through it and we'll come back and maybe make some application. Join me there in verse 43. And if your hand causes you to sin, Cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled. you see that phrase enter life? You're going to come down to verse 47, you're going to see the phrase Kingdom of God, they are synonymous. What He's talking about is eternal life in the Kingdom of God. When He says enter life, He means entering eternity. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell. Is that word hell? I mentioned it earlier. It's the Greek word Gehenna. It comes from the uh, Old Testament valley of Hinoam. It's on the southwest side of Jerusalem. That's where the pagan kings that called themselves Israel, the pagan kings would burn their children up and child sacrifice to Molech. It's a terrible time in Israel's history. It would then become a garbage heap that was always burning with waste. And, um, and, and Jesus uses that imagery right here in verse 43 and says you go there to that burning trash pile, it's an unquenchable fire. Terrible picture. And then in verse 45, so he talks about hand there. Verse 45, now you'll notice we came down and missed verse 44, you also will notice that there is not a verse 46, those two verses are not in the earliest manuscripts, they essentially say the same thing as verse 48. And, and the most reliable manuscript, the earliest manuscripts, don't have those verses. So, verse 45. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet and be thrown into hell. Same word. Verse 47. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God. Now notice he says kingdom of God and not life as he did with hand and foot, they are the same. The kingdom of God he's talking about eternal life. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. In the verse 48 he quotes Isaiah 66, last verses of Isaiah 66. Verse 48, where their worm does not die And the fire is not quenched. He says that hell is a place where you go as a decaying body and God will sustain that body and keep it there so that that worm never runs out of anything to eat. And it will go on and on and on for eternity. And the fire will burn on and on and on for eternity. You don't want to go there, Jesus is saying. Now, what do we do with all of that? When you take verse 43 down to verse 47, foot, hand, eye. Jesus says for His disciples you are to take drastic action, drastic steps to defeat the sin that remains in your life. Verse 43 He says hand, verse 45 He says foot, verse 47 He says eye. All of these things hand, foot, eye represent the totality of a believer's life. You might say that your hand is what you do what you do, if your hand causes you to sin, if what you do for a living causes you to sin, if your work is such that it keeps you from a right relationship with God, a right relationship with the fellowship of believers, or what you do on the weekends, if your actions, if those activities that you really love being a part of If they are causing you to sin, Jesus says, cut them off. Could be could be something public, could be something private, or let's look on the other side. If if what if you're not doing what you know, that's activity or inactivity, Jesus says you cut that off what you do. How about the feet? The feet would be where you go, where you go. Jesus says if if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If where you go is causing you to sin, you need to do away with it. If you if you fall into sin when you go to a bar, don't go to a bar. Jesus says if your foot causes you to cut it off. If, If how you spend your resources where you're going, if that's going to lead, even if your friends there and you love being there and that's where you find identity, Jesus says, look you following me now, this is something drastic. It hurts to follow me. If you've, if you've just been saved, and you used to struggle with alcoholism or drug addiction, don't go where that is. Jesus says, where you go, cut it off. Or maybe you're the other side of the coin, you're not going anywhere, right? maybe it's just inactivity. Maybe there are several things that you should be doing, but you're not doing that. Maybe it's just laziness. Cut it off, Jesus says. Hand and foot. Hand would be what you do. Feet would be where you go. Eyes would be what you see. What you see. What you're looking at. What did Job say? Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes. What is it that comes across your eyes? Think of the... think of the young boys and young men that have been ruined with pornography. Think of the absolute s- sexualization that has happened in this world. Think of the, the, the feminization of the American male. Think of materialism, things set before your eyes, just, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm working for. And Jesus says if that is causing you to sin, tear it out. If you can't look at without being jealous or falling into lust, tear it out, He says. And in every case that Jesus is giving us here, in every single case the verb is present tense. What He's saying is this is a this is an ongoing struggle. The struggle will continue and the call of Jesus is for you and I to take drastic, even painful, irrational action to protect your own soul. What does that mean? It means dropping friends, moving out, quitting a job, get rid of a smartphone. Look, I, I, honestly, I think this—I think this is where a lot of our attention needs to be, and that is giving the drastic call of discipleship, it's for, it's for our good, it's for the flourishing of my soul, to, for you and I to take painful, to take painful action to deal with the besetting sin that is there that will not go away until you do the drastic thing. And what Jesus is doing here, He holds up the image of the eternal burning garbage pit and says, deal drastically with your sin. What, I mean, what do you, <clears throat> what do you need to quit? Think about it. Maybe write it down. For, all, for your own personal accountability, just write it. What do you need to quit? Somebody's number that you need to block. <clears throat> Who is it you need to avoid? Some of you would do rationalization, we rationalize. What we say is, I can't afford, I can't afford, I can't afford it. Look, it is better that you were broke and enter life than have plenty and go to hell. Where, Where the worm doesn't die and the fire doesn't go out. You understand that being, when we talk about being saved as a Christian, being saved by God's grace means we've put our faith in what Christ has done for us. What He did for us is live perfectly on the cross, take the wrath of God away. It's taken away. God raised Him from the dead and you trusting that He did that for you. That begins a glorious adventure, but it is a deadly serious adventure. What does Jesus say here? We must, verse 42, we must pay attention to others. Verse 43 through verse 48, we must pay attention to ourselves let me give you another here's a third one number three number three we must pay attention to our pain or to our own struggle verse 49 is an interesting verse Uh, verse 49 is something that only Mark said so Matthew Mark Luke and John all have something like this in their Gospels nobody else mentions that Jesus said this and here Mark he saves it on purpose remember, Mark is writing to a church in Rome and he's saving certain things so that they hear the words of Jesus by way of encouragement and this church in Rome is is living under the government of Nero. Now I don't like the government we got but it's not Nero. I mean it's close but it's not Nero and it's it's real easy for us to live in a world where you can ask and say things like, why Why me? Why is this? It's easy to slip off into self-pity. Because some of the pain we have is is, is real, it's actual, it's genuine and it hurts. Verse 49, he says, for believers, you see it? Everyone. Everyone will be salted with fire. If we read it in Greek, it'd be just four words. Everyone salted with fire. It uses language from the sacrificial system, salt with purification, fire with burning up or purifying. There are several ways to look at this verse. Probably what he is saying is this is a reference to the purifying effect of persecution and pain. Pain has a way of purifying. What did Peter write in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12? Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Don't be surprised as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings so that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Look, following, I mean a lot of you know this because you live, you live in the real world, following Christ is difficult in a sinful world. When you live in a world that hates God, a world that hates your Christian worldview, a world that hates your view on morality. I mean you grow up as a, a Christian young man or young woman and you believe that uh, sex is saved for marriage, you believe that's you're waiting until you're married to have sex, you I mean you are an alien. Your view, your Christian worldview, your values, your thoughts on creation, Your understanding of justice, of of maleness and femaleness, of your work ethic, what you do with money, how you raise your children, it's completely different. We, we, We live in a world that hates what we believe and God uses every bit of that to make us more like Christ. It's deadly serious, following Christ is a deadly serious adventure. I'll give you one more thing that we should pay attention to. It's found in verse 50. Here's the fourth point. <clears throat> Number four, we must pay attention to our, our devotion, our, our Christian devotion, our spiritual devotion, our own development, our growing as a Christian. Let me show you where I get that. In verse 50, the, the, the passage is disconnected In some ways, Mark is taking the sayings of Jesus and put them together. Verse 49, everybody will be salted with fire. So you see salt, is that the same thing in verse 50? He's saying something different in verse 50. Salt is good, he says. Rabbis used to say, you can't live without salt. Love salt. Danny, I'm with you, I love salt. Salt is good but he's talking about the purifying elements of salt, how it preserves See what he says, but if salt has lost its saltiness, if it can't preserve, how will you make it salty again? And what did Jesus say in, in the Sermon on the Mount? That you are the salt of the earth. And if you lose that which makes you the salt of the earth, it's not any good. The distinctiveness of what it means to be a Christian. God has put you in the society. He's put you in as a preservative. And if you actually lose the distinction of what makes us Christians, we're not useful to society anymore. We're not useful to society becoming like society. We are useful to society where you've been planted as you are distinct. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? So here's the lesson or the command. Have salt in yourself. Make sure that there is this, you are distinctively a follower of Christ. God will use you to preserve the preservative. And then there's another command. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So if you had to write it down, you might say the command is to have a preserving influence and be at peace with one another. Or if you wanted to To have more alliteration would be you have holiness in your life, a life of devotion marked with holiness, that's what makes us distinct, holiness and humility. We live in such a way that we are peaceful and peaceable with other people. So often, so often Christians that follow Christ are accused of being prideful and that should never be Because Christians, of all people, understand grace, understand that we deserve to go to hell, but God in His goodness has saved us in Christ through no effort of our own. It was nothing in me that He reached down and took hold of me. I was drowning like everybody else and He took hold of me. And how He did it is through what Christ has done and He'll do that for you. And pull you out of the water and save you through your faith in Jesus. And if He does that, He then sets you on a deadly, serious adventure. An adventure that has you looking out for others, you know, cause people to sin. An adventure that has you taking your own walk, you, if your hand calls you, cut it off, your foot, your eye, you, you take drastic actions to be a follower. An adventure that has you understanding that. Life's hard. We'll all be salted with fire. An adventure that has you being a useful tool, salt, and also a kind tool, living at peace. And that adventure begins with faith and the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. As I close this out, I'm going to invite you to join me in a moment of prayer, a prayer of commitment. And as we pray today, we're going to sing another song. And as we pray, I'm going to invite any of you that have heard this and realized there are things that I I need to give up. You want to make that commitment today? Would you come forward and we sing? Just come down here and pray. Pray with the pastor or just pray here at the steps, ask God to help you. That'd be a good visible, accountable way of saying I need help today. Or maybe maybe you're here and you've heard this and for the first time you thought you know what? I'm going to hell without Christ. I want Christ to me. I feel the conviction of my own sin. This morning when we sing, I'll invite you to come forward. Our pastors will be here. Or if you're not comfortable with that, I'll be in the lobby afterwards so that we can talk through the gospel, pray with you as you ask God to save you through faith in Jesus. If God has spoken to your heart today through His Word. we will invite you to come forward. Father, thank You for Your Word that is good, for Your grace that is real for the saving power of the gospel. Thank You for the call that You've placed in our lives. We pray that You would find us faithful. Lord, make us a church that is deadly serious about following Christ. We thank You for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.